Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be opening to 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. How many of you have received a handout with tonight's lesson? How many of you have not received a handout with tonight's lesson? What in the world happened to you? You walked right past the person who had them. Miss Davison, I can't believe that. All right, Brother CR needs one. Anybody else? If you need one, I didn't mean to call your name there. It's fine. Uh, thank the Lord. Glad to see you in the house of the Lord. So, what we're going to be doing is reading the first few verses here of 1 Kings chapter number 17, and then we're going to get into this lesson. We, we have been talking on Sunday mornings about having a relationship with God. This is a foundational thing in our lives, and tonight we're dealing with another foundational issue in our lives, which is trusting in God. Now, I tried, we were trying to hook up my computer to where we could see a, a video of, a, of a, something that happened recently here in the United States. About a year ago in Florida, I believe it was called Seaside, Florida, there was a large condominium building, I think it was 21 stories high, that there were some, <clears throat> there were some structural flaws in the building itself, and they knew about it for many years. And the building engineers and the inspectors kind of didn't do what they needed to do, which was raise the red flag about it. And then all of a sudden, all at once, with very, very little warning, the whole building collapsed. I believe what it did was it killed 95 people. There were people on this two-minute news story that we were going to show. You can look at it on YouTube if you'd like to. But it was a building collapse in, in Seaside, Florida. It showed the importance of looking for structural cracks in your life or structural cracks in a building which is kind of likened to our Christian life. Many people do not have the solid foundation. One of the reasons people are dealing so much with issues like fear, anxiety, worry is because the foundation in their life is not an appropriate foundation. The devil has done a number on this society and it affects Christians as well. The Bible says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Now, there are two people in this story in 1 Kings chapter 17, and there's a vastly different response that they have toward the testing that they went through in this life. But we, we know, based on what I was just trying to talk about, that long before a building is constructed, you're going to have to lay out plans. Many times there's permitting that you need to uh, lay out in order that you might build the building properly. If you're going to build your spiritual life properly, you are going to have to uh, do some planning, and your foundation needs to run deep. First Kings chapter number 17, the Bible says in verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand... There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning 
and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little drink, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now, when we come into this passage of Scripture, I hope that you are understanding that this was a time period in life when Ahab and Jezebel were, were, were in rule. Ahab and Jezebel were pretty wicked people. I mean, Jezebel stirred up Ahab to do that which was wrong. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 21, a couple of chapters later, you find her making sure that a righteous man named Naboth was put to death terribly because her husband just wanted a vineyard. She had his life taken. She was someone who hated those who were the prophets of the Lord. She was slaying them and killing them. She had the prophets around her table, but they were the prophets of Baal. So she liked hanging around religious people, only those who agreed with her. Ahab is the picture of a very, very weak leader. Uh, the Bible talks about this in 1 Kings chapter number uh, 16, here on the same page of my Bible, 1 Kings chapter number 16. The Bible says in verse number 31, well actually 1 Kings 16 and 30 says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him, which tells you that he was a very wicked person. He did more evil than anybody that came before him. And then in verse 31, it says, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went after Baal and worshipped him. So he was already a wicked king, but then he married a wicked woman. And she stirred him up to be even more wicked. And so... Uh, it's definitely not a good scene in Israel at this time. Elijah is a strong leader. Elijah is a, he, he's a rough prophet who comes really out of nowhere. The Bible says he's of the inhabitants of Gilead, and we can kind of get into a little study about that, but we won't. But he just comes out of nowhere and makes this appearance before Ahab. Now, we're not going to focus on Elijah's prayer today, but the New Testament identifies some things about Elijah and this situation that the Old Testament does not. In the New Testament, the Bible says in the book of James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in the same passage of Scripture, it tells you that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for a period of three, month, three years and six months. So it was his prayer 
that was answered by God. This guy had such power with God that he prayed for something to happen, and God said, that's what I'm going to do. Now, why would someone pray for a famine? Why would someone pray for a famine? What happens during a time of famine? People starve. What happens during a time of famine? In, in Israel, people had a lack of water. He would suffer along with the people of God. But what Elijah saw was probably that prosperity had done its number on the people of God. And he didn't believe that the children of Israel would ever turn their back back to God, or turn back to God, while they were living in such prosperity. And so, it's a great thing to think about that Elijah would pray that it wouldn't rain. It's also a great thing to think about that Elijah said these things about prayer in verse number 1. He had a relationship with God. He says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, he said, Before whom I stand, I spend time with the Lord. There's not going to be dew nor rain upon the earth, but according to my word. So this, this Elijah was a strong, powerful, spiritual presence. And so if you have your lesson there today, we're going to be talking about, number one, first... The trust of Elijah. Your filling is going to be trust if you have a pen with you and like to fill it out. The trust of Elijah. Because Elijah preached the word of God to Ahab, he became a special target of Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 17, as we've read here in verses number 2 through 5, we see how the Lord told Elijah after he made this announcement that he was going to have to go somewhere different. Now more than ever, Elijah had to trust God literally for everything. He had to trust God with where he was going to live. He had to trust the Lord for what he was going to eat. And so letter A here underneath number one is he had to go to Cherith. He said to hide thyself by the brook Cherith. Because Elijah trusted in God's direction, he saw the provision of God. The scripture tells you that he did something just like you find Abraham doing in Genesis chapter number 12. God told Abraham, get up and get away from thy kindred or get, you know, go, go into a land that I'll show you. And the Bible said that Abram went and did what God told him. You see Elijah doing the same thing here. Elijah went and did what God told him to do in verse number 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's a, that's a pretty you know, easy thing to understand. If God tells you to do something, do it. Don't fight with the Lord when He tells you to do something. You know, where God guides, He always provides. The account of God using ravens to sustain Elijah is certainly miraculous. I personally have never seen birds bringing food to an individual, but I know what happened. You say, how do I know what happened? Well, the Word of God says it. Never let anybody get you to question God's Word. There are atheists and infidels who are out there, folks, the atheist and the infidel cannot shake the faith of one who has apprehended God for himself. Listen, an atheist isn't going to get me to doubt God's word. You know why? Because I know God. Amen. He saved my life. I know God through his word. I've seen him work. I've seen him save people. I've seen way too many things knowing and proving that God exists, much less to, without even mentioning the fact that the word of God is always proven to be true, even before men believed it. Listen, the word, of, the word of God declares the earth to be, you know, he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. That was written well before men believed that the earth was a circle. You know, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well before men knew that the life of the flesh was in the blood. The Bible is a scientifically true book. 
Everything the Bible says is true. Now, if you watch YouTube videos to get truth, let me, let me warn you, especially you young people. If you get truth from Instagram, YouTube, and other places, I'm going to tell you something. They don't always tell you the truth. They give you an illusion of truth, and they say, see, look, that's true, when it's not actually true. I was reading in Genesis chapter number 37 today, uh, during my daily Bible reading about Joseph. And when Joseph's brothers wanted to lie to their dad about their brother, who they knew was not dead, what did they do? They gave him a coat that they had dipped in blood. And Jacob said, without a doubt, he's been devoured by a wild beast. And for 22 years, Jacob believed a lie. We have a lot of people in our generation who watch a YouTube video and they say, that's powerful. Now, let me tell you something that a YouTube video can't do. It can't talk to your heart the way that God can talk to your heart through preaching. So if you are in this building today and you're weighing out truth and I'm preaching the word of God to you, and you feel this, or you feel a nudging in your heart or a tugging in your heart, that's not because I'm an eloquent speaker. That's because there is a God in heaven who wants to know you. That's Him reaching out to you. It is the devil who will try to get you to doubt God's word, to question God's word. So when I read that a raven came and fed Elijah, I have no problem believing it because God's word said it. And by the way, this isn't a book of fairy tales either. This is a book of truth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were contemporaries of Christ. They lived with him. And they wrote us this book. And I believe we still have, and we do have, God's word. Through a, through a blessed process called preservation and inspiration and a bunch of other things me and Brother Bruce talked about at dinner last night. And so, our human tendency runs contrary to trust. Sometimes we like to analyze our options first. But as Christians, we miss out on experiencing the direction of God and His power and His presence as we obey Him, just in obeying the Lord in faith. We all know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. In Psalm chapter 18, one of my favorite psalms, in verse number 30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. Our growth in the Lord is faith-based. You will only grow as you trust Him, as you believe in Him. You young people that are sitting here today, what areas are you trusting God in? Perhaps you're having trouble in school. It's not a bad thing to pray about it. It's not a bad thing to pray about it if you're doing good in school, because there's coming a day when you won't. So maybe it is that you're doing really good in school, maybe thanking God for that. Thanking God for your intellect, for your cognitive abilities is a good thing. Trusting God is certainly a lifelong privilege. And to grow in our Christian walk will require a constant surrender to follow God's direction. So not only did God tell Elijah to go to Cherith, to the brook, then he told him to go to Zarephath. This was a continual step of faith. Now, why did he go to Zarephath? Because the Bible says, and think about it, Let's play like we are Elijah today. God answers your prayer and shuts the rain down. It's not raining anymore, and he tells you to go out to a brook where you have birds flying in, bringing you flesh morning and evening, which tells me that God is not a vegetarian or vegan. Because if he wanted Elijah to eat vegetables, he would have brought them to him. Now, I enjoy vegetables. 
all of them except for corn and carrots, which raise my sugar. Okay? But I, I especially like fried vegetables. I like fried vegetables with salt and a little bit of butter, sometimes a little bit of garlic and garlic powder. I mean, would you like me to go on? I haven't eaten my dinner yet tonight. Okay? But the Lord said that he brought him flesh morning and evening. That is a great miracle. And he told him that he was going to be drinking. He drank of the brook at the end of verse number 6. Verse 7, though, says something happened. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, Elijah could have at this point, but the Bible doesn't record this. This is just me saying, what if? What if Elijah at this point starts saying, why did you send me here? Why did you send me to the brook? It's now dried up. He didn't do that. The brook dried up because it wasn't raining, but then God had another plan. And Elijah didn't question the plan of the Lord. Now, listen, I have been in life uh, to a few different places. There may be, and right now I don't have any, you know, there's been no sorrow with me coming to Fort Worth. You guys have been so kind to me. I mean, people have been very kind. But there may come a time in my life where I might reflect and think, you know, Lord, what are you doing here? What are you doing in my life? Maybe trouble comes. Maybe rejection comes. Maybe difficulty comes. Maybe tragedy comes. Lord, what are you doing? It's not for me to know all the answers. God does not give you all the answers when tragedy strikes. And by the way, you can be living... In the will of God, and tragedy could strike. You could be doing right for the Lord. I mean, the Bible talks about this, that it rains upon the just and the unjust. But we know this. For, you know, God challenges, He tries His people. You know, a faith that cannot be, you know, tested cannot be trusted. God will test your faith. And so, He tells Elijah to go to Zarephath in verses number 9 and 10. He says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, if you were to look at a map of Israel during this time, you would see that going to Zarephath was not the logical choice of where to send Elijah. Zarephath was a Mediterranean town. It was seven miles south of Zidon. This was also the hometown of Jezebel's father, so it was a godless place. So this would be the equivalent to an American moving into the heart of a terrorist city, and it was God's direction who led you there. But praise the Lord, Elijah wasn't going by his own senses. He was going by the Lord's direction. But that's not all. Not only did God send Elijah to an unlikely location, he also sent him to an unlikely person, and that was this widow. He said that I commanded this widow woman to sustain thee. Now, I've, I've often thought about this. You know, how, that, how it must have hit Elijah that this widow woman was going to sustain him. You know, he may have had some questions for the Lord at this time. As the story unfolds, I can try to put myself in Elijah's shoes and start thinking, okay, well, if he's telling me to go to a widow woman, perhaps her husband left her with a lot of wealth and she is going to sustain me. So when he finally ends up getting to this place, we find something very unique and very interesting. And all I could say is that the scripture declares that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. God telling us to do something does not always make sense. Now, God leads us through his word today. We know that in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came to people and God used visions and dreams. I want to tell you something today. 
God's given you this word, this book. Now, I've met people who believe God was speaking to them through a license plate on the car in front of them. And all I can tell you is this, stop tailgating. Okay? <laughs> I've met people who saw street signs. They hadn't read their Bible in a month. But they're saying, God's telling me to do this because they saw a street sign. They saw the National Enquirer at the local Walmart. Probably not a good thing to read or even look at for your spiritual growth. But they thought God was speaking to them. Guys, God speaks to you through His Word. He speaks to you through His Word. Now, there are people that are out there today with mental trouble. You might even at times have mental trouble. Any of you ever thought about something you shouldn't and it troubled you? Stop it! Stop thinking that. You know, sometimes you need to stop the train where you're going, the the thought process of where you're going, because it takes you to a bad place. All of us have to deal with that. All of us have to deal with saying, stop thinking that way. It doesn't line up with God's Word. What does God's Word say? To trust Him. You know, some people, it, it almost seems like they believe they're more spiritual if they worry more or if they're more filled with fear. God doesn't do that for us. God wants us to obey Him. And God, tr- God told Elijah, you know, that he was going to take care of him. And even use this widow. In Luke chapter number 12, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was saying, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Luke 12 and 27. He said that Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like the lilies of the field. All he was trying to do was get God's people to understand he cares about you a whole lot more than a flower. God can take care of you, and God will take care of you if you live for the Lord and you do things and you're obeying the Lord. And, and by the way, God, is, God shows us mercy even when we're not. I'm thankful that I don't stand here today only because, hey, I'm perfect. I've done everything just right. Absolutely not. I make mistakes. I fail, and I thank God for His mercy. Elijah's test of faith was a severe test, but his trust shows us that God is trustworthy. And so now we see, number two, the test of the widow. You're filling his test. Number two is the test of the widow. We can only imagine how difficult her life was. Now we know about the Bible that it says that God has a special place for the widow. Don't ever mess with a widow. Don't take her money. Don't take advantage of a widow. I am telling you right now, all you young people and anybody else in the room today, you want to get on God's bad side, I don't care how much money you have, He will complicate your life if you mess around with a widow. You be good to orphans. You be good to widows. The Bible says pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this, that a man visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. That's James chapter number 5. God, the Bible says, guards the border of the widow. So God was watching after this particular widow. In 1 Kings chapter number 17, he gets to Zarephath, and we've read the story. He finds this woman, you know, gathering sticks. She's gathering sticks because no doubt she's going to be cooking over an open fire. How many of you have ever cooked over an open fire? Chestnuts roast. No, just kidding. Um, I remember I, I went out with my wife to a, uh, a campground, a rustic campground. It had no running water. I was carrying with me a trusty 45. It's actually a very, it's a bad gun, but it's a 45 high point weapon. And, and me and my kids were all walking around and we saw tracks, which I had never seen before. And my son Jacob, who is a, 
a nature person, you know, watched a lot of uh, Steve Irwin, has a great Australian accent, can fake like he's Steve Irwin. Uh, he said, those are turkey feet. And there were hundreds of tracks. And uh, sure enough, we followed where those tracks went, and uh, I saw these turkeys. And I thought that I could play Charles Ingalls. And so I ran those turkeys down, and I took a shot, and miraculously, a shot that was taken struck one of those turkeys, and we had our first open-fire turkey at that place. And let me tell you something, it was dry. (laughs) I had no salt, and I didn't know how to cook over an open fire. It was not only dry, it was dark, it was charred. And, uh, but after you got through the first layer, we were all like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Everybody got a toothpick out here. And so she, the widow of Zarephath, was gathering sticks. Now, we're, we're laughing because of my story, but if you think about the stress of this situation. Now, some of you today are under stress. I want to say this to you. God doesn't want you to live your life full of stress. He actually wants to help you bear your burden. What does he say? Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many of you feel like you're carrying a heavy burden? There's times when I feel like I'm carrying a heavy burden. Perhaps I'm not praying and giving it to Lord, I'm not trusting you to help me carry this. I'm taking too much on myself. You know, a yoke, you know, you think about a yoke of oxen. That yoke of oxen gets put on and, you know, I can only think if the Lord's in the yoke with me, He's doing most of the carrying for me. My problem is when I carry that yoke on my own, when I'm not looking to Christ, And folks, we need to look to Christ to help us carry our burdens. And so the testing of this widow was great. You know, it was probably a measure of uneasiness as he drew near to this pagan city. But God providentially placed a woman right there. And no doubt God identified her to uh, Elijah. First of all, you can consider letter A, her residence. You're filling his residence. Letter A, her residence. As we saw a moment ago, this town was a part of a pagan city. They worshipped the false idol Baal. A follower of God would not have fit in in this city at all. And so, you know, when we consider how people don't fit in in some places, you know, the Bible talks about people who survived in ungodly environments in the Scripture. I mean, we could think about many people. Joseph survived as a slave in Egypt. There were other people who were surviving, even in the story of 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings 18 introduces us to an obscure Bible character named Obadiah, who was a servant in the house of Ahab, who was hiding preachers out in a cave and feeding them with the very food that came from Ahab's table. That's an unlikely place to find a believer in Ahab's house. And so we consider her residence, where she lived. Secondly, we can consider her resources. She had very little. She said, I don't have her. she said, I don't have anything. She had a handful of meal in a barrel, that was it. And a little oil in the cruise. Her faith was now in the barrel and the cruise. And sometimes that's our problem. Our faith is our, your faith shouldn't be in your bank account. Your faith shouldn't be in your retirement funds. Your faith should be in God. By the way, your faith shouldn't be in your employer, and I don't care who you work for. You can work for Boeing. You could work for a big company, Lockheed, or whoever else is working out here in Dallas. Never put your trust in an employer. Your trust is in the Lord. 
Because your employer will fail. Men will fail, but God will not fail you. The, Bi- the Bible says, David said this, he says, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I've never seen him forsaken. And God can bring resources where we don't see our resources. Not only that, but we also saw her reasoning in this passage of Scripture. Her residence, her resources, her reasoning. She, she, she was basically saying, oh, this is all I have. I don't have anything. I, I, you know, uh, Elijah comes and he asks her to get him some water. Now, you remember in John chapter number 4 that Jesus asked a woman for some water. And what was her response? <laughs> who, who, are, who do you think you're talking to? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You know, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Now, this woman had a completely different spirit. She had a humble spirit. He asked her to go and get him uh, something to drink. Verse 11, as she's going to get it, he asks her something else. Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she pronounces to him, like she, she must have known, probably from his attire or how he looked, or maybe she had a previous... Uh, understanding of who Elijah the prophet was, I don't know, but she says, as the Lord thy God liveth, she knew the guy was a Christian, she said, I don't have a cake, I don't have a handful, of, she said, all I've got is a, a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and she says, I'm preparing my last meal, can you imagine a more stressful time in somebody's life, they're completely out of resources, and this is it, this is all we got left. We're going to eat our last meal. We're going to die. And now this guy, this preacher, if you will, is asking me to get him some first. Verse number 13, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. It's a great, it's a great admonition in the Scripture. Whenever angels came from God, you know, they always said, Fear not. Fear not. Are you going through problems today? You don't know how you're going to pay your bills? You've got a medical bill that's come in and it's more than you can afford? Fear not. God says, fear not. God will take care of you. He will help you. Now, he's not always going to pay off that bill. But there's always wise ways to handle some certain things. You know, you've you got to take care of priorities first. Listen, God will take care of you. Years ago, my wife and I were, were going through a time when we were extremely, uh, we, were, we were just putting food on the table. We were barely making it. And I was backing out of a driveway and uh, I, I had done an inspection on an apartment building, and um, as I was backing out, going home, it was my last stop of the day, there was a bunch of furniture sitting outside. And I saw this guy who looked like he was the size of Brother Jeffrey back there trying to lift up all this furniture that these tenants had left for him. It's okay, Brother Jeffrey. He was, he, he was, I didn't think that he was big enough or strong enough to be lifting up you know, these chairs and couches and throwing him in this dumpster that was there. I felt bad. And it was almost like the Lord told me to stop and help this guy. And I, you know, I'd always been pretty strong as I grew up. I never had problems lifting things. And I, I, hadn't, I hadn't been working out. And I took this half-round upholstered chair, one of the ugliest chairs I've ever seen, and it was incredibly heavy. I didn't realize how heavy it was going to be. And I rolled it up on my shoulder. And as I pushed the chair into the dumpster... I felt a pop in my bicep, and I looked down and tried to make a muscle, and it went all the way down to the bone. I tore my bicep tendon, and I said, Lord, why has this happened to me? I was just helping this guy. I was was in the clear. I felt like the Lord wanted me to stop and help the guy. Now, a couple of things I learned from that. 
Number one, I'm not as young as I used to be. Number one, I need, probably need to warm up before I'm starting to do that. I probably needed to be a little more careful with what I was doing. The second thing that I learned was as I tried to figure out what to do with my arm, they said atrophy would set in or I would have lose my, a lot of my right arm strength if I didn't get surgery done on that. Well, we didn't have medical insurance. I started calling hospitals to find out if they would help me, and the University of Missouri said, we will allow you to schedule if you pay in cash, and uh, we'll allow you to make payments. And so I started scheduling, and I had an anesthesia bill. I had a hospital bill. They tore my arm open over here, and they, they reattached my bicep tendon, and the bill came in at like $22,000. I didn't have $22,000. But what I did have was faith in God. And I started making $100 uh, payments every month. We made $100 payments for about a year. And after about a year, we didn't get a bill in the mail. And my wife called the hospital. And she said, hey, we're trying to make a payment on this surgery that we had last year. You know, what's going on? And they said, we took that bill and we wiped it out. We wrote the whole thing off. Now, I want to tell you something. I was worried when I saw that bill. I couldn't pay it. But something happened to where God made sure that bill got taken care of. Now, that doesn't always happen. But one thing that always happens is God will help you. God will help you. My trust was not in the hospital. My trust was in the Lord. And so God was trying to test my faith through that, and He certainly came through for me. Now, this, uh, she told Elijah that her intention was to do this, but God had something much different for her to do. You know, she did what the Lord said. And in this story, we see, you know, the great triumph of their faith, which is number three. The triumph of their faith, the, the Elijah's faith and the woman's faith. In 1 Kings chapter number 17, she, he said, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Now think about this. Every day when she went back to the barrel, every day that she went back to the cruise, there was more. There was more. You say, well, how is God going to do those kind of things for me? God can do miracles in your life too. Your life may be a complete mess today, but if you take steps towards the Lord, just a small step of obedience means you're in the center of God's will. If you've moved away from the Lord, and you are a distance from the Lord, exactly when do you get right with God? The very first step that you take towards God. It's not your perfection that God is concerned with. It is your direction. And so... When we consider what God did here, it was a great miracle. And so your fill-in there is the triumph of faith. Faith, if you have a fill-in there at all. So, letter A, we find the request from the prophet. He asked her to make him something first. You know, this is a, a, a scriptural principle. Put God first and then put everything else. It should be God first, then your family. Some people have children. They put their children first and their children become their God. Your children should not be your God. Your children should be your children. You ought to love your children, but you ought to put God first. 
We ought to try to teach our children to put God first. Sometimes people want to put sports first. You should not put sports before God. You should not put money before God. You should put God first. It's God first, then your family. Some people put family first and then God. Therefore, if there's ever a contest between a family reunion on Sunday or the Lord's house, it's always the family who wins. It should be God's house who wins. We are Christians. We love the Lord. God's house is important. It's the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. You say, but you don't know how my family operates. I may not know how your family operates, but I know how God operates. Put God first. And And then everything else seems to fall into place. Some people just seem like they want to put other things in front of the Lord. That does not work that way. In marriage, put God first. For the man who's supposed to love his wife, put God first. Put God first, and every, your love for your wife will be where it's supposed to be. You know, uh, the Bible makes a clear statement. I believe it's in the book of Peter. It says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. It's easy to be bitter against your spouse. Don't be bitter against your spouse. Love your spouse. What's that going to take? Forgiveness? Grace? Compassion? When when is forgiveness ever given? When something wrong is done? What kind of example do we give as husbands when we don't have a forgiving spirit? Forgive. Now, ladies, you know, I I don't want to recommend to you to be in the constant place of forgiveness. (laughs) in your marriage but hey some maybe it's your husband who needs forgiveness too people deal with this issue of bitterness a lot if we're putting god where we're supposed to put the lord okay everything will fall in place in our life now listen we're not perfect we make mistakes when god puts two people together in marriage things can be hard it's not always easy but I know this, with the Lord, the Lord can help you. Right. And if you are having you know, you know, problems with family, workplace, marriage, children, whatever it is that you're dealing with, let me tell you something. God loves you. And He can help you with what you're going through. And so when, when we deal with the, uh, this triumph of faith, we deal with the request from the prophet. And he said, listen, make me something first. That may have been you know, kind of a... That's an awful selfish request for him to ask this lady who is very poor. But he said, God's got something for you. He's got something better for you. And the response of the widow you see there is that she went and did what the the Lord had said. Uh, You're filling his response. And of course, the resource was supplied. Now, folks, what I'm trying to say to you tonight is this. A foundational portion of the Christian life is trusting God. Trusting God means obeying Him, even when it doesn't make sense to you. It may not always make sense to you to obey the Lord. You know, there are certain things that are going on in life that God gives pretty clear instructions on it. And what I could say to you is that if you obey God's Word, God has something to do that is wonderful for you. Many people stop short of this area of obedience. I want to do it, but I just I can't bring myself to obey you. This may have been where the widow stopped, but it wasn't. She got all the way there. She made Elijah what he, he, he asked for first, and then look what God did for her. For three and a half years, he provided sustenance, not only for her and her son, but also for Elijah. Now, 
Let's, uh, let's close tonight as we think about this trust in God. How, first of all, trust in God starts someplace. Yeah. Now, in my life, I was born and raised in church, and I thank God for that. My dad and my mom cared about me enough to put me in church, and the reason that I had such a knowledge of God was because I had preachers that loved this book. My preachers loved this book. They preached this book. They told me that I could believe God's Word. And as a child, I believed what I was told based on what the Bible had to say. It wasn't hard for me to believe that God created the heavens and the earth because I knew Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, and I've never doubted that. I'm not going to wrestle with the things that God said. I'm just going to accept them as true. There was only one person there when it happened. Might as well trust the one that was there. You know... I'm not going to doubt God's Word. And I thank God that my parents kept me in church, but I know that there's people in this room today, you don't have the same upbringing as me. You may have been secularly educated. You may have had all your teachers in your life who are trying to get you to doubt God's Word. But I want to tell you that even if that is your case, God can overrule all the bad education through the preaching of God's Word if you just accept it by faith. The trust in God starts with believing His Word. You can't get saved unless you trust this book. How can you get saved while rejecting the book that gives you the truth? You can't do it. So you've got to trust something. Do you trust God's Word? When, when you deal with the issue of salvation, have you ever trusted God to save your soul? When you die... When you take your last breath, your soul leaves this earthly house, and it goes somewhere. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The Bible speaks of heaven and hell many times. You need to understand, there's no offer of salvation beyond the grave. You have to get saved here. You have to trust in God and what He did through Jesus Christ. When I talk about trusting in God, my spiritual life truly began when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So trusting in God enters you into that relationship with Christ. But beyond your salvation, there's a trust in God. Now some of you are going through a variety of problems. Workplace, school, marriage, family, whatever. How are you trusting in God? Is your relationship by trusting in God growing today? Just as this widow woman, she had kind of moved away from trusting in God and put her trust in her resources, God had something else for her. Now, what do you need to trust God with about tonight? Maybe some of the things that have been brought to your mind through the preaching of God's Word, you need to trust God with that. Maybe God's done something in your life. I don't know what. But tonight, give God these moments. Uh, Let's stand together as we conclude this message by taking a few moments to reflect upon what God has said before we close in prayer. Let's have just a a song on the piano. And um, maybe God's dealing in your heart. Maybe you just want to make an altar there at your seat. You need to sit down or kneel there and pray. If God has worked in your life, if there's something you need to trust Him about, there could be somebody in here who's never been saved. You don't know the Lord. I want you to know that God loves you. God cares for you. And God wants you uh, to be saved. And maybe there's somebody else in here today and you're going through a heavy load.
You feel like, man, life is just so heavy right now. Won't you give that to God? Won't you give that to God? Just spend this time with the Lord as the piano plays. God working in your life? Could be somebody here who's lost. I want you to know this preacher is your friend. I want to help you. And God wants to help you. I can can introduce you to him and he'll be the greatest friend you ever had. If you're lost, I want you to know even if we close a service, I want you to find me. I'll help you. I'll show you from God's word how to receive Christ. Young or old, if God's working in your life, don't you leave here lost. He might be trying to tell you, hey, I want to save you. This is the answer. This is what you've been looking for. Be saved today. There could be others who are dealing with issues of life as a Christian. Get right with God today. You'll be the better for it. bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Wednesday night service for all who've gathered in this place. Lord, we pray that you'd use the words from Scripture to encourage the heart of the believer and to draw sinners to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd increase our trust in you, help us to identify in our heart when we are not trusting you, to cast that off and to look toward you. Lord, we know that life is very hard that there's difficulties and winding roads. Lord, give us the grace we need uh, for the days ahead. And Lord, we just pray uh, that you'd work in the heart of that one who is lost. Uh, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight who needs to be saved, I pray, Lord, that they might have the courage to make that known and and that tonight would be that day uh, where a a sinner comes home, where their name is put in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, we ask and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's let's dismiss with a song. You guys know God is so good. How many of you know that one? God is so good. We'll sing this song together. Wow, she knows it by heart. I was just going to go acapoco. Okay, where's my first note? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good, He's so good to me. You are dismissed.